Welcome to the Knock on Archery podcast, where we bring all archers and bow hunters together from all walks of life with the goal to educate, empower, and inspire you to be better both in the field and on the range. Hey, 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 everybody. Knock on podcast. Can you believe it? We are in the winter. I've officially packed up my hunting gear, so it's time to to get things rolling. I'm shooting in the range. We just launched a new bow and getting ready to fire up another se- another session and season of School of Knock as well as, you know, ramp up for tax season, all that great stuff. But we're here at the ATA show and I wanted to do a little lead in for this podcast. I'm with two of my buddies from the Pope and Young Club and get into a, a really important conversation. This is going to be a podcast that we also share with the Pope and Young Club podcast as well. And this spring, I'm going to be a keynote speaker at the annual convention. And I just really wanted everyone out there who's a veteran bow hunter or even new to bow hunting to hear this. I think any of you who have followed along my journey over the years probably have figured out I'm not a person that focuses on score. But with that said, I'm still a member of the Boone and Crockett Club and involved with that and part of different committees and, and, you know, part of the, part of that membership as well as the Pope and Young Club. I'm a lifetime member of that. I have several other lifetime memberships and I talk about the reason why I do that and, and the importance of, of supporting these critical, critical organizations within our industry and even though I'm not about score and you, I'm sure you understand, I don't focus on trophy hunting. I also respect the fact that there is a reason for that. And a lot of my friends really love that part of it, but there's, there's actually three parts to the Pope and Young Club, the preservation, the promotion, and the protection. You know, the mission statement is preserve, promote, protect bow hunting heritage and fair chase. And there's certainly aspects of that that I'm all in about. The scoring thing is not my thing, but there's a critical reason to why that is relevant. This podcast covers some of that. I hope you enjoy it. And uh, yeah, this was a great, a great week here at the ATA show. And it was awesome to sit down and have this conversation with these guys. Hope you enjoy it. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Pope and Young Podcast. Jason Roundsville here, joined, as always, by my co-host, Dylan Ray. And we're excited today. We have, we're coming from ATA this morning, and we have with us John Dudley, who is going to be our keynote speaker in Reno. We're so excited to get to sit down with him, talk to him, and so excited to have him come to Reno. Welcome, or thanks for being on the show. And Heck yeah. Th- we're so excited to have you in Reno this year. It's going to be great. Yeah, it's going to, well, it's going to be my first, so I'm, I'm pretty pumped for that. I was trying to think back. Um, one of your official scorers, Ken Reimer. Oh, yeah. So uh, I saw Ken in the show, and he came up to me, and he's like, he kind of, you know, what he, he seemed like an evangelist that like missed, <laughs> that like missed an opportunity to like to like you know preach the word to uh-huh. me because he's like he goes uh he used to be my high country rep so going way back right. in mid 90s when i opened my own shop um in Nor- in southern wisconsin 
I was I was actually a Matthews pro shooter at the time, but I couldn't get Matthews because there was other dealers too close to me. So I was selling uh, PSEs in high countries, and Ken was my high country rep. Nice. So, uh, you know, he would come by, and, and even at that time when I was hunting and stuff, he would – you know he's a score nut right because he's he is he's a score nut you know he gave me his 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 official business card you know official score for pope and young absolutely and uh i feel like i crushed the guy's heart when i said i don't score anything <laughs> and he's and he he kind of just like took that as like oh and i just said yeah man i you know i i kind of always had my own you know scoring system i kind of just said you know if it's got four legs i'm going to shoot it you know if my excitement levels you know five out of ten i'm going to shoot it and you know if it's if it's what i feel like you know a good representation i'm going to shoot it so like when i added those up i'm like i just go for like it was a 10 out of 10 and he just looked at me like that is the dumbest scoring system i've ever heard about (laughs) in my life but yeah he saw me yesterday and he's just like dude you're coming to the convention you know i was right there all those years and like you know i didn't know you were wanting to get get involved and you know so it was pretty cool yeah see like one of your guys one of your old homeboys just like excited oh yeah um to come out but and he's been in the industry for a long time he actually comes works some shows with us and and he does he knows a ton of people and and he he gets excited i mean he he is all about i'm not an official measure and i think they don't uh, let me and jason have a tape no no because i'm like i look at a tape measure i'm like ah eight you know 16 30 seconds those are all pretty close (laughs) and they're like oh no they're not so you're like the person that uh just kind of does the thumb to pinky thing yeah and just kind of thinks about it yeah yep yeah yeah but you do i mean you've got those guys that are like you like the terminology used evangelistic about it oh yeah but i mean as a whole we we just promote hunting i mean yeah it's very it's very um interesting to me because we've we've been talking for a few years now when when they brought you in um i kind of asked the question you know there's it there there's kind of at some point there has to be a passing of the torch you know not necessarily to the younger crowd but there has to be a passing of a torch to like i'm calling myself like the middle crowd and then there i feel like there's one and possibly two other you know hunting generations that are under me right now yeah but like as you see this happening you know you just start to realize you know there's there's just differences in there's a lot of differences in in hunt like there's differences for me in hunting from when I was a kid and I was taught to to bow hunt 30 something years ago to even you know 20 years ago uh you know when I worked for Matthews and I got in the industry for the first time and then you know 10 years ago when I worked for Hoyt and I was in the industry and around a lot of that and then even now I feel like in the last Honestly, I think probably the last three years, just social media has really changed hunting. More importantly for me, it's changed because it now gives you a very easy path to show people that 
you know, like a stigma of hunters that a lot of non-hunters had, they kind of see that that's not true. You know, right. Bubba bow hunter, like, you know what I mean? I, I used to always hear about like Bubba bow hunter and then, but through social media, when you do it right, well, I shouldn't say when you do it right, when you do it tastefully and respectfully, yeah, I feel like people that have had a completely closed mind to that, I've met places where they say, yeah, I, I would never hunt, but I really enjoy seeing what, what you do. Like, the, you know, they, they're cool. like, I don't know yeah. if I could eat something that I knew you shot, like if I saw a picture of it, but I sure want to. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, that's such an incredible window of opportunity for us as hunters that want to relay a message that so much of what's happening in conservation isn't being funded by the people that don't love it. Like it's the, you know, it's the people that hunt that want the animals to flourish. They want, you know, they, they want skin it in the game. Yeah. They want it to be better. And, um, yeah, it's, it's a very awesome opportunity to do that, but I feel like the older generation doesn't understand. Like, there's new social media that I don't understand. Yeah, you know, I, you know, I'm in I, that boat. I'm a Facebook Instagrammer, <laughs> but like, honestly, I probably wouldn't snap. I like, I don't, I wouldn't be any good at Snapchat. Yeah, you know what I mean. So, um, and honestly, I was never good at like Twitter. I'm like, wait, I can't, I, yeah. I'm limited on my words. That's not me. <laughs> yeah. I'm limited on my words, and you know. See, I'm uh, progressive. I have an Instagram account. Dylan told me. So <laughs> see, see. So yeah, I think there's. I actually think there's layers to um, our ability to talk about what we love about bow hunting. More yeah. importantly, people that are involved with Pope and Young. There's a very, very awesome opportunity to relay the message that when you guys came in. I was excited because, you know, Dylan reached out and he's like, hey, you know, your involvement with Pope and Young, do you want to get involved more? And I just said, if it doesn't, if it's not only about score, right. I'm in. And that's the that's And the mission statement changed, yes. right? The mission sh- statement has changed. You know, we're doing a podcast. You yeah. Know, uh, you know, things like that are, are critical. So I'm all about like, all right, all right, my, you know, my generation, my, you know, the my peeps. This is a critical thing that was started when, you know, back when, you know, Pope and Young began. Um, these are these are absolutely critical clubs that are important for what we do and we need to get behind it and your mission statement is awesome because it actually it 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 lets people choose the pathway that they're going to go down based on the the pillars of pope and young yes so you know some people might just say well i support all three and hey that's awesome a lot do Yeah. yeah you know and and honestly i feel like if i I feel like if I ever shot something that I knew should be in a book because of the fact there's people out there that are that passionate about the score, like if I shot a a new world record, I probably wouldn't, like I wouldn't want to have this thing be something that, you know, that I rode the the coattails of personally. 
but I would not want I wouldn't want to keep it from the people who have who exactly. would love to see that. Ex- yes. You know, so like in that case I feel like I would step in and be like, Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna go down that pillar. Yeah. Because the animal deserves it. Everybody Absolutely. everybody Bingo. that's dedicated their life to really knowing how because when you look at the books too I mean, there's times where I feel like there's records being broken on the same year. The quality of animals is just going through the roof because we're also getting better at conservation. Yes. You know, as, as a as last, a Last community. panel, we announced 10 new world records and this year. And we have at least the potential for 10 new world records in the last two years. Insane. So yeah, in so four years, it's 20. In four years. New, yeah. That's so yeah. It's so they talk about the good old days, and the good old days for for shooting mature quality animals are right now. And I I think you mentioned something earlier that you have a, a quote unquote scoring system for the validity of your hunt or how good your yep. hunt is. Mm-hmm. And I think people need to recognize that that Pope and Young is not about when you score an animal when you have it officially measured. That number is not does not equate the value of your hunt because uh, i mean you talk to people that shoot world records and there's guys who are like yeah man i was just you know stumbling through the woods and here it was and i shot it yeah and then there's other people that they are out there and they're working and they're chasing one specific animal that they think has a shot at at this top 10 list and and so change the whole path of their life yes because it like they can't get it out of their head yeah yeah and it's and so it's so neat because you see all of these different avenues for for how people get to this world record or and i wouldn't i wouldn't even say world record i'll, I'll say this top 10 status which sure. is just phenomenal to, to or even just the book of a, like you know the book of their life or yeah or you know someone who's never shot a, a full six by six elk like to them that's a know. trophy yeah yeah i remember seeing um I remember a Browning poster that Randy Ulmer signed for me back in the 90s. Um, and it was like the one time <laughs> that that I had outshot him in a shoot-off. Right. And, you know, he just put like, thanks for the lessons, kid, you yeah. know, sarcastically. Because <laughs> I, was, I was a kid. I was just a teenager at the time. And he was with this with this six by six bull elk and i mean this thing i thought it was like a dinosaur you know when i was in my teens because i was you know from from mississippi and illinois so i'm used to like deer and turkeys honestly at that time definitely had never shot a pope and young whitetail you know because growing up in mississippi like if it was an eight point or a ten point i mean that you know when i look back at the deer that were on the that were on my family's wall at our our family's hunting camp some of the deer that i thought were just that i would never see in my life were 130 inch deer right you know so when i when i saw that picture that elk i thought this is this guy has shot that's the biggest thing i've ever seen in my life (laughs) but now when i look at it you know i realize it was like a 310 bull a 320 bull and you know it's just different how it's like you know at that time he was probably like you know this was i mean obviously it made a poster he i'm sure he picked the picture to send in for a post you know for a full poster and now you think of randy ulmer and you're like he wouldn't shoot a 310 bull 
Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? He wouldn't shoot a three. Like now you see bulls. Um, well, I saw, I saw a bull, uh, yesterday, you know, that, uh, Rogan shot in California, which is, you know, low, f- you know, it's not a high fence hunt, you know, it was out there, Northern California and it's 390 bull, you know what I mean? And, and here's a guy that's fairly new to bow hunting too. Yeah. So it's, it's cool that that happens, but I guess from my point of view, it's also cool that score isn't the first thing on everybody's list nor no and it shouldn't be Mm -hmm. it's it's one one avenue and it's it's really good you know i think score is important for for some reason number one is is if you can't well you're going to be at the convention and it's all about the animal when we're going through the scores it's we're there to respect the animal to to recognize that trophy to recognize that particular individual and people take that a lot of different ways you know some people are um you know it's why in pope and young we don't recognize like the slams Mm -hmm. because the slams are about the hunter achievement versus the animal recognition and the and the top five are all about the animal recognition right and so and we've taken some heat for that over the years that well how come you don't recognize a you know all the species of deer and you know even in one year or something like yeah. why don't we have hunter categories and yeah. there's there's discussion on that yeah but what it boils down to is we're about the animal and and that particular trophy getting recognized for what it is yeah but a, a perfect example of why you enter your animals we had somebody run up to us yesterday and they're like hey i'm about to draw a tag i'm getting close to drawing this tag but where i'm hunting these bison you can't use archery equipment so can you help so now we have data to show to take to the state legislator and say hey look this is all the mature bisons that's been killed with archery equipment why is it not legal here Mm. and so now now and that's why the record book existed in the first place they were so you i mean go into that go ahead so somewhere between us and the indians they had lost sight that archery archery equipment is yeah, it's it's not ethical to harvest big game. And so Glenn St. Charles and his group of friends started a book to be able to take to legislators of mature animals. And one thing, people always associate Pope and Young with Boone and Crockett. And we're good friends of theirs, same scoring system. Excellent partners. They care about big animals. We care about mature animals. So you just said the 130 whitetail wouldn't make it. Well, minimum whitetail is 125. Yeah. I mean, yep. if you've hunted for five years, you've probably seen a 125. Yep. Um, and so they started this book just so they could take it to these board, to these state legislators and say, hey, um, you know, X amount of whitetails, mature whitetails were killed in Kentucky last year. So you guys in Louisiana need a bow season because it is ethical. It's fair chase. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at, the, look at the numbers we're getting off of it. And so, and now still two years ago, Russia used our books to, to get bow hunting seasons to show the 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 ethical the ethics behind it and and now these people are asking us to step in and help with this bison so they can archery hunt it and so i mean that's why it exists in the first place so yeah and they're still being used i think is it greenland yeah because they they don't have a traditional season Mm -hmm. and so some we've had people that are working with them showing them look at all these you know caribou that have been taken with traditional equipment this is an effective means and it's interesting because being at at the ATA show, you, you look around, and one of the things before I came to Pope and Young, I didn't realize the significance of the records program in relation to getting 
seasons across the country. I mean, that was why we're here. That's why we were started. And so I'm, I'm like, man, Pope and Young is the reason you have a season. And, you know, not everybody understands that or, or jumps on because they all do kind of like what you were thinking. Oh, all they care about is score. No, all we care about is bow hunting. Yeah. You know, score is one part of that. And you mentioned the three pillars. We have preserve, promote, and protect. Well, part of the preserve pillar is the records program. We have the largest data set for North American big game in existence we have millions of data points going back for you know decades on all of these mature animals and it's used like like there are institutions universities and such dnrs that use our data for formulating plans on on management for sure at a state level for sure so it's neat when you see people that are using this for you know, things that we maybe never saw coming 60 years ago. And then our data is getting used for things that are really helping to to increase hunting opportunities. That's what we're about. We want to see, you know, part of our protect pillar is we don't want to lose any, any opportunities for hunting and specifically bow hunting. And I think people don't realize that there is a constant attack and it's not big. Nobody's, you know, Biden's not standing up there saying, hey, we, we need to get rid of all guns and all bows. It's it's not on a mainstream page. It's scarier to me because yeah. it's, it's you know, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to know a bunch of a bunch of spe- special operations guys and team yeah. guys. A lot of these moves are, they're, they're, t- t- they're small team tactical moves that are breaking down that aren't you know it's not like there's a big explosion where all of a sudden they're like we're taking all bows away boom right you know to where everyone can hears this big bang and like rushes to it they're they're pulling apart little things to yep. where they're, they're just pulling they're they're pulling threads we'll take away bear hunting over here in new jersey yeah let's take it away over here in california nobody will care nobody will, nobody will band together oh let's let's take away something else up here look at canada I mean, it to me it started with the with the grizzly in BC, yep. um, which is getting honestly the grizz in in BC and Alberta are getting like pretty close to scary from a danger perspective. I mean, they're if you go on a moose hunt, you're you're gonna see like you're gonna see them, right? And, you know, they're there, they're they're there, and there's a lot of them. And now I think what's British Columbia been three years? They've had it, they've shut it down now. I think three or four. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I encountered last year's black bear hunt. I encountered three grizzlies, you know, in a, in a, on a six-day spot and stock hunt. Wow. So, and, and then now look at the gun. Like, look at what they're doing with the with the weapons, right? Like, even shotguns now are yeah. like, you know, it's yeah. like one by one, all these things. They're just, they're taking one thing and one thing yeah. and one thing. And, and like you said, it's like, you know, it's like. It's like pulling a thread, you know. It's yeah. kind of like you can't feel the fact that they're actually unraveling. Jason their shirt. says, "Death by a thousand cuts." It yeah, is. and it's you know you look at at Canada, and that's that's probably my favorite thing in the world is going to Alberta in the fall. And so I look at it, and he pretty much lives there. Good. I, I would. I'd live I, there. I would too. You know. <laughs> yeah. Maybe August, September, October. I would definitely live there from opening day until 
Well, I mean, as soon as elk are screaming, I think September 18th, I'd probably got to get back to the States. Just uh, Man, Alberta has a new world record elk. Do they really? They do. That was, what, three three years ago. <clears throat> what? Brand new. Yeah. That was, like, in the middle of COVID. So we had to, it was. That was, like, crazy having measures, like, meet at the border and, like. Yeah, they couldn't They the couldn't get it to Convene special panels. In, in, in Reno oh last gosh, time. Oh, gosh, this is awesome. So it was, yeah, and it was funny because I've got a, 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 I've gone up there for 30 years. I've met some amazing people, and I see the same folks every year. And so a buddy of mine, he's a farmer up there, Kevin, he, uh. He was telling me about, he texted me this picture. He says, hey, man, there's, there's a potential new world record. My neighbor shot her. But buddy that lives just down the road, their neighbors are like 30 miles, you know. Yeah, yeah, country. yeah, next town. He's like, my neighbor there. shot it, and the guy lives 30 miles from him. But anyway, he, he texted me this, and, and I look at it, and I'm like, you know how farmers are. They're like, well, I mean, it's a big elk. Yeah. You're like, is that world record? You're like, man, that is actually a big <laughs> big elk. And then next thing you know, it, it gets entered into the into the uh, office and, and they're like hey this is a potential and all of a sudden it starts blowing up from there and i'm like man i knew this i knew about this weeks ago when this actually happened so <laughs> how big was it i i don't remember do you remember the look. number yeah, because huge. what's crazy is uh you know when you think about it i always felt like i felt like some of these sleeper states like uh like south dakota or kentucky right i kind of feel like the next world record would pop out of one of those places where they've been waiting for it to open up for so yes. long and they've got the genetics like yeah yeah in good genetics yeah yep I'm, I'm in oregon and so it's like oh that's an oregon bull because it's got weak thirds it's like just some of our genetics <laughs> just different it's like yeah yeah for sure you know i i feel like we need to have a place where our community even if they're not active all the time um and that's a big reason why i wanted to become more involved with pope and young and and probably more importantly um and i told this to dylan i need like i need to be more vocal to the people that follow what i'm doing about the importance of i actually i like i tithe money every year for the purpose of supporting a club that is fighting for hunting yeah so like you know i've i've become a life member at a different type of thing every you know life member of pope and young yes. critical right and I've, I've never been to a meeting never been to a meeting you know but I, I it's like i know what you guys are doing and and like you said i yeah that's freaking that's all <laughs> that's a giant if i saw that in, up in alberta where i hunt i'd be like what in the heck 449 net that is geez, crazy what a cool freaking bull too yeah thirds like that don't exist in a lot of places yeah. i've been to <laughs> um you know and and i like even the I, when i moved to iowa i I became a life member of the Iowa Bow Hunters. Yeah. Never never been to a banquet. Haven't written for their magazine. But it's but what I do know is I know from from people that that were from Iowa, I know how hard the Iowa Bow Hunters fight for keeping Iowa one of the best whitetail states. Yeah. Because, you know, there's there's a lot of out of state 
you know, money trying to scoop up land and open it up to anyone who owns land. They've been fighting that for a long time. And, you know, and from, from a resident's point of view, like, I think it's critical to support some of that stuff. And, and kind of the list goes on Rocky mountain elk foundation, you know, I became a life member for that. Um, different archery organizations, you know, like, like pro tours that I used to shoot on, you know, like I'm going to become a life member of this company, you know, of this organization this year, just because I, I want to make sure they continue to fight for what I love every single day. And the reality is, honestly, it's less than what some tags cost right now. Yeah. It's, it, it blows my mind when we're talking to folks and they, they just spent $1,600 on a new bow. They're spending, you know, you, you get a dozen arrows with broadheads on them and, and Luminox and all of a sudden you're, you're 300 bucks into a set of arrows pretty cool. more than that yeah. <laughs> i mean and so all of a sudden you know these guys are shooting a you know 30 40 dollar arrow every time they squeeze the trigger yeah and 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 they're like oh well i, I just you know I, I don't have enough money you know i don't have enough to go around to, to give 45 bucks to pope and young or 40 dollars to their state organization and with us we're not it should never be Pope and Young over some over your state or it's we work together. Yeah, you know we we've had I think Colorado, Montana, a lot of these state organizations. Um, we work with them on on issues that come up. You know, there was an issue where where they wanted to ban the use of bow mounted decoys, and so Pope and Young came in because we're kind of the you know when you look at bow hunting, we're the the fair chase. I don't know if the police of yeah, yeah, and so, and so we came in. And we said, "There's, there's not a biological reason to do this. There's not a safety reason to do this." So, you know, our very core is ethics and fair chase bow hunting, and we believe there's no reason to make this decision. Right. And it was part of the and these guys worked really hard, but it was one of the things that helped contribute to that going away. And it's, it's other things. You know, another time they wanted to make bow hunters wear blaze orange yeah and it's there's there's a lot of little things that we're working on with the state organization so for us it's it's important you join pope and young because we are when you go buy that bow and when you buy those arrows we're the only national organization out there fighting for your bow hunting rights i mean that's our very course preserve promote and protect and it's funny how people don't like where you're giving back and you're joining organizations some people that just live to bow hunt aren't aren't a member of their state organization aren't a member of pope and young and i'm like gosh guys we've all got to give back yeah well, we've got it and you know that you do the research and you, you mentioned earlier about social media and the hunting public and the the non-hunting public yeah well only four percent or less of people in the united states of america hunt so so for me i grew up hunting i can't imagine not hunting yes that's just how i grew up 96 percent of the country didn't yeah so you have to look at this okay when when you're at the ballot box or when you're you know sentiment in general yeah okay we're, we're outnumbered 20 to 1 yeah and so the perception of hunting in the non-hunting world 
um, NRA just did a huge study on this, and they they can tell you what somebody in Chicago, 29 years old, thinks about hunting, and and they they put a lot of effort into this, and so what they found is that 80 some percent of non-hunters support hunting yep. for the when it's done for the right reasons. Exactly. Yep. And exactly. so we have to maintain that, and and it's not enough to just support the hunting we have to be active in the entire you know our world isn't just the hunting world it's the whole world it's yeah. the conservation world it is the you know when you when you talk about big game it's everything from you, you know diseases and and all of those things that we all need to work together to make sure that our populations are healthy go in the right direction because these you know 96 percent of people that don't hunt they love to see the deer or the elk or the bears, but they're not willing to go into their pocket to make sure that they see a deer or an elk yeah. or a bear. Yeah, that was very obvious uh, during a few of the, you know, for, for sure, like during Cecil. I mean, oh, right. Oh, yeah. It, that was, that, like, that was <laughs> the time where it was the most obvious, you know, and was was for that. But, you know, you kind of look at the rhino thing, too. The people that I see that talk about the rhino problem, you know, and the black market problem, it, that is not on Dateline. No. No. I, I mean, this is like, you know, we've got people. It's it's from people from our industry that are, like, rallying to, to help this thing. You know, yes. Because it's like the last thing any hunter wants is is a species to be extinct. No. And And most, you know, most people that aren't, that aren't a hunter just are like, well, why wouldn't they just put some in the zoo? You know what I mean? It's just very, very, very different, the yeah. mentality to it. See, I was I was very fortunate that um, my competitive career in archery took me overseas. You know, when I shot for the U.S. team and I traveled, um, and when I was an international uh, sales manager, I got to go to all these places, and I was – you know, I've always considered myself a, I've considered myself an archer. You know, I'm not a bow hunter and I'm not a target guy. I'm an archer. And yeah. I, and, and my saying has always been, I'm a target archer to be a better bow hunter. And I'm a better bow hunter because I'm a target archer. That's yeah. what I tell people. So I've been an archer. I, I've never just been a bow hunter and I, I haven't, honestly, I wouldn't have done target archery if it wasn't for the purpose of really wanting to be better as a bow hunter. That's why I got a wildlife degree, so I can be a better hunter. <laughs> well, I mean, that's awesome. But, like, when I went to Europe, and especially when I start going places where bow hunting's illegal. Um, it, so you've uh, been places where bow hunting is illegal. Oh, for sure. And people don't, people here don't even realize that. They, they do don't, not they realize it. what we have. And, and more critically, it's like there's places where it was legal and they took it back away or yes they did you know or there's places where it is legal but like people around here would blow their tops to know that you have to go to a certification course you have to have a proficiency course you have to on your fletchings you have to have your contact information all that down there there's places where like 
I think in France, if you have an animal that's wounded, isn't it like you have a legal obligation to to hire track dogs, right? Huh. So there's like places like that to where, you know, if you wound an animal, if you shoot an animal and it like you wound it, the general public can find that thing. And on your arrow, in order to be legal to hunt, like your information and hunting license numbers on right is there. written yeah. on that projectile, like for people to see. Yeah, and uh, and actually, uh, a, a buddy of mine uh, shot a stag. They never found it. hired hired a track dog. Never found it, and he ended up seeing it in a general population Instagram post where someone found it that was a non-hunter and was saying like someone illegally shot this animal with an arrow type thing and so it was you know like that fast it kind of muddied muddied some water really quick so in places like that facts be damned yeah yeah Yeah. so like we can't we cannot we cannot take that for granted the fact that we're allowed to hunt like do not think you know that there is not a possibility that you know a a left group or you know if if there's different like leadership that just like shut down the voice of like pope and young and boone and crockett club and safari club and these different critical clubs that are really on capital fighting for us as well you know what what i've learned because i'm a i'm a professional member for pope for boone and crockett club too so Mm -hmm. you know i've been in committee meetings um there and to hear about the types of things that the club fights for in legislature that the general hunting population they have no idea that when they're like, well, I'm putting in for my bison. I'm gonna, I'm right. just gonna go shoot a bus bison. Well, they don't. They might not know that organization might have spent a hundred grand to have their representation on capital to make sure that that right for us as hunters is still happening. You know, so what what i've done too and what i've i've told people for example this year um i drew multiple tags which was awesome for me uh for out west but i also drew more than what i could physically like what i could go on according to like the calendar you know what i mean i'm like okay well i can't do that many so for example um that's a good problem to have yeah and and the problem is next year i won't draw anything you know what i mean but um so like montana I did not go to Montana at all this year, which was sucks because Montana's awesome. But just the way I had other spots that I've waited so long, and I'm like, okay, well, I know I can go to Montana again. Um, so you know, like that Montana tag is about a thousand bucks. Well, when you you know, if you turn that thing back in, well, now you've got this check that to me was already gone. Yeah. So it's like that's an awesome opportunity to take that funds and dedicate it to someone that's going to keep fighting so that I can hunt Montana down the future. Yeah. So, you know, if you're, if you're the type of person that, um, that doesn't necessarily just want to like, Hey, I'm just going to go on a website and I'm just going to become a life member, you know, think of it that way. And, you know, think about, 
you know, hey, I got some, you know, someone gave me some broadheads for Christmas I really don't like, and you went back and, you know, you took them back and, you know, got 50 bucks back. Hey, you could you could support Pope and Young Club for, for a year. Absolutely. For, you know, for a re-gift. Yeah. You can re-gift your membership. <laughs> yeah. Or, or, you know, hey, support Pope and Young. We'd love to have you because as we're, you know, the voice for, for bow hunters in North America – the more more folks we have on board, the bigger our voice is. For and sure. When you walk into a room, you know, the more people we, we represent, the more audience you have, the more people pay attention. You know, sometimes it's, you know, how many voters do you get? You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's, and there are forces actively working against us every single day. Every like, day. Like we're at ATA this week. And while we're at ATA, there are anti-hunters that are, actively working to take away what we love Mm -hmm. and we just assume that it can't happen to us but we see it happening i i know it can happen yeah i've traveled places right where i i know for sure it can happen yeah oh that could never happen to me until it does can never happen to me until it does and the messages that they're spreading are not legitimate factual messages you know you look at boone and crockett well they were started so that we would have a record of all these magnificent animals for when they went extinct that's that's what they were hey yeah. we want to have a record so that when there's not mule deer anymore we'll still know what they were like yeah well you look at the you know we talked about the number of world records earlier the north american model of wildlife conservation is working it's working well. There has, despite what the antis tell people every single day, there has not been a single species go extinct due to hunting. Yeah. Not one. And quite the opposite. If you look at a lot of species in North America that were teetering or on the brink of extinction or, or at least severely limited, hunters specifically led the charge to get those back yeah Tur- the the turkeys white-tailed deer wood ducks these are things that that we take for granted that we don't realize that 60 years ago somebody had to fight his tail off yeah my grandfather was doing that for like you know to get wild turkeys into the south into certain yes. parts of the south he worked for he was a a forester for international paper uh for most of his life once he got back from the war and he cruised timber every every day of his life every single day of his yeah. life and he was pinnacle on some of these international paper places that where they had land that had perfect turkey habitat yep. he was passionate about if turkeys were put here they could they thrive. could flourish they yes. could thrive they could you know so he was part of some of those very first ones and there was you know there were certain um islands down there where you know he worked with it with the nwtf to like get them implanted there and then once it was decided like okay now we need to start regulating them so they remain healthy yeah you know he was able to like get some of those like hunt it for the first time type thing and he and honestly he my grandfather didn't mount really hardly anything but like the i know for a fact like that turkey the that turkey that he shot where you know he knew there was that much work that got put into right. that situation 
hundred percent. Like yep. that's one of them. You know, it's in a glass, a freaking that's glass awesome. thing, click case because this was like someone who, who just loved that creature and wanted there to be more of them and wanted other people to experience them. And, and yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot of opportunities for non hunters to, to do that, but you know, they, it just doesn't happen. It, yeah. It's, it's, you know, we, we recognize that, that non-conceptive use, the, the hunter or the non hunters, the, the hikers and the, the photographers and things like that. That's a legitimate use of, you know, especially public land, public land in the West is a huge thing. And, and so it's multi-use is great, but somebody has to step up and take the initiative. And, you know, when you look at hunters, the, what we're paying in Pittman Robertson dollars every year, which is a self-imposed tax yeah. <laughs> on hunting and shooting. I mean, you know, there's no self-imposed tax when, you know, the hikers are going out and buying something. They're, they're basically using our trails. They're yeah. using our, you know, we buy the car and, and they get to drive it. Yep. But they don't realize, they just think that car has always been sitting there with the keys in it and a full tank of gas just waiting for them to hop in and drive up the road. Yeah. They don't realize the blood, sweat, and tears that you're, you know, that, that your family members and our family members have put into for the past hundred years to make sure that car is there full of gas, you know, in, in taught in as good of working order as it can be so that they can go enjoy what we love. Yep. And so it's, it, it will be nice right now. Hunters and, and, and fishermen and outdoorsmen are, are paying that, that 4% is paying a bulk of everybody's conservation you know fees if you will and so if it would be nice if if we could figure out a way there where they were willing to participate financially at the at the rate that they're willing to take it away from us well luckily there's honestly some of the wealthiest people i know are the biggest conservationists that it's actually surprising to me um you know one particular one comes to mind i i remember uh talking to him and i said dude you're like a real life batman like he you know he he literally could be a real life batman like with just where he's at and like you know kind of like you know he just got this like wayne manners every single place Uh and you know he's probably got his awesome bat caves and secret stuff but the one thing that guy does is every single one of his properties that he owns, it is a conservation masterpiece. Yes. You know, like he, the what he puts into every one of those properties, it, 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 he is 100% maximizing the wildlife potential and, you know, and when and and opens it at certain times of the year for, you know, for public to to like yeah. see it. And they're just, you know, they're just like, and people wait in line to be able to, to, to be able to go see like some of these places for, you know, for the gardens or the different types of birds or the different types of, um, you know, forest floor creatures and stuff like that. And they're, they just wait in line to be able to see that. And the reality is like, you know, you could do that like to public parks and things like that. If, if, if it wasn't only hunters putting the money towards that or you you know paying five bucks to get in like there's opportunity to to really create 
an environment to where it, it would look like a Jurassic Park if you're there, but that's yes. not going to happen for someone who doesn't love love no. the creature and and and, the and and we do. You know, one one of the things that has been kind of a hot button for me is it's starting to to concern me that there's becoming this line that's being drawn in the sand in the hunting community between public hunters and private land hunters. I feel like that's, I feel like we're hunters, you know, and, and for the longest time I had no ability to hunt private land. I hunted public land. I, right. you know, I, I hunted public land and it was a segue for me to, to be able to go when I wanted, you know, and if a buddy, if someone that, you know, if someone that had property that normally would invite me, couldn't, I had a place to go. Um, and yeah, there's certainly a time where I love the challenge of that because it, you know, it's, you kind of don't have control of anything in that situation. You're just, it's a wilderness type, right. type hunt, but I also feel like, you know, there's different, there, there's also properties where when you go and you see, someone that like devotes their you know big part of their financial life to groom that place it shouldn't be looked down upon because no. you've you know you've either you know like for me been active in our community where we're fighting for rights and been active around clientele that you know have done those things on their own places and and they're financing this i feel like we should be happy for both sides of that. And it's all one side. There's yeah. no two sides there. It's all we're all in the yes. same buckets. That's like you know pouring water in a five gallon bucket and saying, "Yeah, that half's better than this half." We're all in the same bucket. Yep. And it's the whole divide and conquer thing. It's like oh, rifle hunters versus bow hunters. You know exactly. Shotgun guys versus this. You know grouse hunters versus duck hunters, elk hunters versus deer hunters. You know and and I. I see that, and it's like, guys, we need to be hunters first, yep. and then everything else needs to be second. And some people can't can't accept that. And you know, you talk about the the public private thing. Well, that's that's part of one of the misconceptions that that the antis throw out is there's a huge difference between conserva- active conservation and preservation. Yep. Okay, we understand that if you just set, you know, you go buy 100 acres and set it aside, that's not the best way to manage it for the wildlife that we want to see. Totally, so yeah. It doesn't work at all. Yeah, I mean, right. there may be some, some deer there, but, but if you actively manage it a certain way, you're going to have more deer and better deer. Yep. And this is the big misconception that, that they throw out is, is in their mind, conservation is just preservation you just, oh just set it aside and nature will take care of itself. it definitely does not it does yeah. not it takes that active management and you know food plots or, or burning or i mean there's so many different things that you can do yep. to improve that property and and i i don't think most people realize that yeah because like when i when i bought uh my farm in iowa i literally like it was my life's savings you know it's like it was like everything in my life went to and you know it was one of those things where like i don't know if i'll even be able to make this payment but like at some point if i'm ever gonna have my own place you just have to have to do it but like if i look at that place 
a lot of work went into dividing that thing up into like equal thirds of food, you know, cover, you know, putting food, honestly, like cover in regards to like native grasses and then timber. Mm -hmm. Um, And then within those food categories, you've got food plots, you got row, row plots, you have making sure water, especially with like, yep. you know, EHD, making sure the water, ta- you know, system was good and clean and flowing. Then on top of that, you know, in each of those sections, you know, in in the place that wasn't uh, timber or row crop, you know, you look at CRP, you know, getting involved um, with like mine was a CP25 program. So like getting out there, doing a complete burn down, you know, renting a drill from the county conservation, you know, drilling in all these different seeds, you know, trying to, you know, having to mow it you know two times a year for the first three years before you could do it then burn it buy it and set it aside and it magically right everything to you then burn it on you know then burn it on the fifth year and then during that time you know in the timber taking you know going into a forestry program (laughs) for like having a you know a guy come out and survey it and doing the hinge cuts and the girding on on the timber so that the forest isn't just a perfectly you know wide open forests with hardwoods where there's actually you know sunlight hitting the ground yep. and, the, and the trees that were critical and the trees that we don't want to go away could flourish and then you know provide the undergrowth for turkeys and pheasants and deer and then and then that's in the forest and then you get to the edge and getting involved with the pheasants forever program for a mm-hmm. for an edge feathering thing to where you're creating an, an actual you know you're creating some type of habitat between the row crop or the food plot in the timber like creating that it's like so when when people look at wow that's a that's an awesome deer turkey property it it is but it wasn't like when it was just bought when it was bought it was bought with potential like it's it's like it's like just because you can buy a house doesn't mean that house isn't a fixer upper yeah. you know you you, you get, might have to freaking tear out all the carpet you know repaint the walls Needs do paint. all that yeah, and then also now yeah. you can get now people want to like come and like live there uh-huh you know now people want to come live there it's the same the same thing when it comes to wildlife there it doesn't just you know if all of a sudden you acquired 500 acres but don't groom it it doesn't mean that it's gonna you know it's gonna be legit well and that's yeah. what i hear people and I, th- I think i can say this they're good enough friends of ours but i hear people and the ones they always choose for some reasons lee and tiffany and they're like well yeah if i had a super managed property i could do that too and i'm like they work their tails off to have a super managed property like yeah what, what do you mean that's you, part of their recreation is managing yeah. that property to, to it, do that. it's a year-round game i mean yeah, like I don't. When Lee shoots big stuff, uh, which is often. Notice he didn't say if he said when. when. Yeah, often. I mean, honestly, there's no way I could take anything away from Lee because what I'll tell you is there is no way I'd want to think about deer as much as that guy. Oh man, no. yeah, <laughs> I've been no, I've been places where like everybody's having awesome conversations and not talking about hunting and chilling out and hanging out and that dude is till midnight looking at pictures and oh yeah you know i I think you know 
if I wanted to put a stand here, you know, I can go in, I can clear this out and like move this around. And I mean, he is a hundred percent, hundred percent. And you know, uh, Bill Jordan was like that. You know, I, I, I hunted, um, with Bill way, way back for monster bucks 10. And, uh, I could not believe that guy never, like, he hardly slept. Every single time I saw him, he was thinking about, like, where to put a new stand That's and awesome. how to brush it in and, you know, like, you know, you know, we should create, like, a a different way to, like, you know, have the deer where they really like this spot. And, I mean, that's that's a huge investment. You yeah. Know, it's people that just, like, live it, breathe it, love it, but also... uh both of those people you could argue have put forth more money to to like growing it's not cheap. wildlife than yeah. honestly probably any non-hunter i know that's like put something back it just, well and that's it, what i tell non-hunters like when i have that conversation i'm like listen you have this idea in your head that we're like bloodthirsty killers and we i'm like you don't care about the animals near as much as i do i can promise you that mm-hmm. like not that they're wrong on that though right <laughs> yeah but that's not all we are <laughs> right. you know yeah we can be both <laughs> but nobody cares more about the animals than the hunters and, and that's something that the non-hunting community i don't will never understand they, I mean, they don't and it's i mean i've seen examples you're you're bringing up examples that are good where you've seen wildlife thrive and flourish because of active conservation practices mm-hmm. i've seen quite the opposite you know oh, when, yeah when you know and and the the anti-hunters they're great because they understand the court system is where all these decisions are made and so you know decades ago when they shut down most of the national forest on the on the west coast due to the spotted owl i mean i've seen where where you could go up and see you know 30 years ago you, you just drive through the mountains see deer elk grouse all kinds of wildlife and you drive through there now and it is one monoculture mm-hmm. and there is nothing you can drive for an hour and not see a living thing and they think oh it's it's amazing it's this old growth forest no the you mentioned it earlier you have to act probably a fire hazard is what it is it's a fire <laughs> yeah it's a fire hazard and the the sunlight cannot get through that canopy mm-hmm. to get you know, nothing grows on the ground. It's yeah. it's like a desert. Yeah. Because no sunlight gets through there, and there's nothing for deer, nothing for elk, nothing for squirrels, and it's it's not what they envision mm-hmm. when they're doing. Because I, you know, at their core, they're not they're not ill-intentioned people. They just don't understand what it takes. They don't understand an ecosystem. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like, well. You know, like, even non-hunters, like, I, f- I feel like even non-hunters, that people that I know are, you know, serious non-hunters, they uh, they always have a fish tank. And I tell them, like, imagine if you never, like, if you just put fish in there, like, let the aerator go, like, that thing's just going to be a green blob soon enough. Yeah. Like, you have to, you have to nurture, manage. you have to manage and nurture that tank to where your pet fish has clean water food you know yep and you know hey if you went and bought you know two piranhas dropped them in there and and then all of a sudden there's five piranhas in there and 
all your clownfish are dead. You know, like yeah. both of these are like saltwater, freshwater <laughs> fish. So this is a horrible example. But it's like you killed what, Nemo. Yeah, what, yeah. Wouldn't you take like some of the the ones that are eating the other ones? Wouldn't you want them out to where you know you could yeah. maybe have one in there that's that's swimming around and there's a lot of different species within your tank not not all of a sudden where it's like only one species can thrive because the ecosystem's unbalanced and most of them are like yeah i like seeing all of them and it's like yeah that's what we like so do we that's what we like so john i wanted to ask you um ask it because i know there was some misconceptions and you've already you know said there was so surrounding pope and young what were your biggest misconceptions well, I, I don't know if it was truly a misconception. I think it was um, just lack of information. You know, I, I think because there was so much focus on the scoring aspect, you know, because when you see the name Pope and Young, you see it mostly on a score sheet, you know. Yeah. Like books. in the hunting community. Yeah. The same was true with Boone and Crockett Club. Um, and I had uh, two really well-respected individuals nominate me for when I, you know, kind of went through the the process of becoming a Boone and Crockett Club, you know, member, and then, like, going and actually sitting and, and seeing some of the committees mm-hmm. and what the committees do at the annual meetings that aren't necessarily to, you know, all the members of, you know, the, the general uh, membership. I realized, like, there is a lot going on here. And honestly, a lot that's yeah. way above my head. Like, there's people in place within these clubs that I just don't get it. Like, I don't understand the federal granting programs and, and all that stuff that we're doing for conservation and, you know, fighting for the taxes a proper way. And just there's so many of these things that, like, they have to happen. So with when I got my eyes open with Boone and Crockett Club, you know, Pope and Young, I was kind of like, maybe I'm not looking at Pope and Young the right way too. And, uh, you know, and then that was kind of right about the time where you guys came in and said, hey, we're we're going to make it very clear that we have pillars to, the, to our club and it's not focused around the score. Like as soon as that was said, I'm like, I'm in. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm down with that. You know, I a hundred percent like for me, um, I love the score and I love knowing like I love knowing that that dude in Canada wearing yeah. a green sweatshirt, <laughs> like it's you know what I mean, got this world record bull elk. Or forty. You know, thankfully the tongue's tucked in, you know, yeah. on that picture and it wasn't in the back of the truck. Um but I just feel like, you know, it's awesome that we have that. I, lo- I love that. And I and I honestly, I love when I'm walking in a place and I do see a number on it to where, you know, I can be like, wow, that's what a 200-inch deer looks like. Yeah. yeah, that's what a 180 deer looks like. That's what a 150 deer looks like. I love that part. But it's also, um, I love the I love the part that, that – lets people know the importance of like what this club does outside of that and like and and we have to rally around that like we have to rally around that we have to understand that you know all those those different pillars that are in there they they they're 
very specific and they're they're so needed you know to where for whatever reason my passion has always been my passion is educating people because listen i grew up the you know i grew up shooting at a bale of hay out the back of a oh yeah of a trailer um that for a long time didn't have like power you know didn't have water it was like water we had to bring bring in and stuff like that that's that was my original like family's hunting camp in mississippi and once we started to get those little perks you know i just i don't know i i i in those places where you know you're learning to bow hunt i had no education um on like i didn't have any access to learn to shoot bow hunting my uncle bow hunted and my uncle would show up with something new he got from a store you know a new target or like a new type of site or something and we shot at bales of hay you know and we kind of like if we could hit a paper plate that was so awesome (laughs) and then and then when i been there yeah and then and then when i went to my first tournament it was a local shoot that I stumbled upon, if I'm honest with you. Um, I always had my bow with me, like in my truck when I was in high school. And I went down a little road, and there was a, a sign there that just said archery shoot. So I went down there, and this is the first time I'd ever saw 3D targets. Huh. So I went and, like, took this hunting bow out that had hand-me-down stuff from my mm-hmm. uncle and my dad. And I went out and shot this this course and halfway through the course i'd lost every arrow (laughs) and i was so i felt so defeated like i just felt horrible and i ended up leaving and i drove i drove to a store and bought like a dozen or a half dozen arrows out of like probably out of like a bucket like mix mix and match bucket because it's what i had went back to the shoot yeah yeah went back to the shoot and finished the course because as an athlete it was always like start what you finish dudley you know so i did that and then i saw these guys that were there you know getting their trophies and stuff and they had the name of their local shop on their shirt so that next day i was in that shop and i was like watching these guys and asking questions and I just realized, like, I have I, if I'm going to be a good bow hunter, because especially like where I grew up in Mississippi, it's hard deer hunting down there. Like, it's you know to shoot a deer, to shoot a buck, an eight point buck with a bow, in some parts of Mississippi, like if you can if you can shoot a deer there, you can shoot a deer anywhere in the world. You know, is what I what I tell people. Like, if you can learn to be a a successful hunter every year in certain parts of the South you can be a successful hunter in any state yeah because those deer down there are just on a different level of being wired yeah so you know to have to wait and put in that time that time and then all of a sudden to be you know to be so nervous and to make a bad shot and miss and for me i only got to hunt um for a lot of a lot of my life as growing up i only got to hunt when my family would drive from northern illinois where we lived down to the family's place in mississippi for thanksgiving and easter that's when we went back to mississippi for big family meals thanksgiving and easter so those weeks were when i got to hunt deer and when i got to hunt turkeys nice and you know my grandfather or my uncle would take me so 
if I missed a deer in November <laughs> down in Mississippi, which like looking at it now, wasn't the best time to be there hunting. It was like kind of just maybe starting to get right. good, you know, on Thanksgiving week. Um, I had to wait like 359 days to be to able to again. get another shot. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I had to dedicate my time into learning to be better and everything that I learned for probably the first 10 years of my bow hunting life was only off of my mistakes. I didn't ever have anyone to like give me the <coughs> advice of like, Hey, you miss shooting down because you know, you didn't know how to like pivot at the waist or, you know, Hey, make sure you anchor before you look through your peep site. Like, you know, these little things. So my, what I feel like is, since I've learned all this, I'm like a hundred percent dedicated to teaching people to be better bow hunters. Yeah. And I, I told a story yesterday to someone, someone came up to me and they're like, why don't you try trad archery? And I go, I've, I've actually done it. I said, I, I've, I've done it. And they just said, so what, what happened? And I said, listen, it, it was fun. Like I liked shooting my recurve, you know? And I said, I, I, took a recurve that that at the time matthews had was making recurves you know we were going to make bamboo uh recurves and so some of these prototypes i had one and we were shooting them a lot because you know we were kind of like deciding whether or not we were going to go into that category so i was playing around well i took it hunting because i was like i you know we kind of had this thing at work like who could who could get a deer with one right. of the, one of the new recurves so I went out and a deer came in and I was honestly, I was self-filming. I, I haven't been able to find this film, but I know I was self-filming cause I watched it a few times and, uh, I pulled back and I, you know, did my best to like, you know, look at the point of that arrow and like, you know, put it like just under the armpit and like let go. And for me, when I let go, there was this horrible feeling like if you could have paused it and said like what do you think about that shot i would have said Missed. i have no idea where this arrow's going right that like You're i re i honestly good. remember yeah. that moment because for me that was like one of the sickest times i've like felt in this like like i said you would have had to pause it because right. the the I ended up drop, you know, I ended up like the animal react a little bit. I hit him like high through the shoulder and like through the bottom of the spine. So it just like shell shocked him and, and stunned it. And then like the broadhead went through along and, you know, so it was like, it was a, it was a clean shot, but personally there was this time where I shot at something and had no idea where it where that arrow was going yeah and i'm like man i did not like that that was me now listen there's recurve shooters that can probably that i know there's guys i know that can beat me shooting the recurve inside it if i had to shoot a bare bow compound like they can beat me all day long you know um and and definitely there's recurve shooters that have 100 percent confidence when when they do that yeah but for me personally i didn't feel that and so I was like, if I'm going to shoot at something, I have got to know that this shot is a lethal shot. 
I have got to know that I made an ethical decision at that time. Right. Or otherwise, I'm like not sure I'm okay with it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, for, for me, that feeling like sparked this personal mission to like teach archer to teach people to never feel that like i've never said that to people right i've never said like what what i've always told them is hey when when you go hunting i can promise you you're ready what what i haven't truly ever confessed is i shot one time and i did not know that it was a lethal shot and it like kind of scared me and like made me feel sick about it so Everything I'm doing is to give back to the sport. You know, nice. what I'm trying to do is I'm I'm trying to take everything the industry has done for me and use it as an opportunity to mentor to people that you know, hopefully don't ever have to have that type of feeling and people that well, there there's honestly people coming into our industry that have an extreme powerful voice extremely powerful uh following extremely powerful communities and extremely powerful finances and i'm lucky that they're that like i have a a podium that's like bringing some of those people into my life and what i want is i want those assets on our team absolutely that's what i want like rogan that you mentioned yeah yeah 100 percent a hundred percent you know and i've said like the military community oh yeah the military community right now is uh you know i'm passionate about that it's giving these guys a a new mission that's giving them a new focus and um you'd be very surprised at the amount of people the you know sadly the amount of military people that have done extremely amazing things for our country and our freedoms who have like openly told me hey man i was actually at a point in my life where like i was ready for this to be over but when you invited me on that hunt and told me like hey you got eight months to get ready uh here's the gear you need here's like make sure you freaking you know start doing some walks with a weighted vest you know make sure you start doing some hit find some kind of elevation make sure you learn to shoot you know a little bit up or down like just giving them a new mission yeah they were like okay well i might feel like you know killing myself right now but i'm gonna put that on hold for a little bit because i really want to do this this thing and then when they have success like I've just I've seen it in their face and it's hard to describe to people but I've just seen it in their face where you realize this just changes person's life. Yeah. 100% more than hunting now. Yeah. Yeah. This just like totally changes this person's life. You know, they have a mission, they have a purpose, they can they can take on they still have challenges, you know, they still have cool challenges. They've got a brotherhood. Like some of these things have have now come back. They've got gear. They've got some cool shit hanging up yeah. in their closet. Yeah. Like this is these are things to where I don't know. It, it just it like re it just resets your purpose. And so those 
few little things that I mentioned there, they just reset my purpose and they, they just put me on a different path to where I realized like, you know, shooting target archery was cool. It was needed. And honestly, I needed it because I wanted to be the best bow hunter I could be. But I also, in doing that, I learned, I think, to be the best coach I can be. Nice. You know, so, but it all turns back to the fact of like, I don't want to let an arrow go at an animal and not know where it's going. It's yeah. funny that you told that story because I have openly said that you were my inspiration for shooting a recurve. <laughs> for the reason that oh, damn. we were on the phone and I said something about a recurve and you said, I don't shoot a recurve because I enjoy accuracy. <laughs> and I know what you meant. Like, yeah. I'm not bashing the recurve. Yeah. Like, I'm not, you weren't bashing any recurve shooters, but you meant for yourself personally. And so, like, in that moment, I was just like, yeah, I'm going to do this. Like, I, I'm going to show Deadly that you can be accurate you with it. Dude, that. that's awesome. Because what you're not going to... I'm gonna, not accurate with it, I'll tell you. Well, well I was going <laughs> to yeah. say, what you're probably not going to do is be half-assed about it like like I was. So I that that was the first time I ever shot at something. It was a deer I shot at with a recurve. Uh, the second time that I did it was... Um, I told you about my grandfather being a forester. So he loved trees. Lo- loved tree. You know, marked, marked timber in a little, you know, leather timber forester book you know where it's got little thumb thumb tabs on both sides of the leather so you can open that thing up and you know he's walking walking millions of miles maybe of of you know pines marking timber for ip and uh when they bought their family place he had to cut down a tree for like their first homestead and i think it just crushed him you know that he had to like take this tree out but he kept he kept a big part of it for a long time and my grandfather ended up getting dementia the one thing that he always remembered and like his you know it's it's kind of like um they they reset you know like in 51st dates oh yeah you know you kind of yeah. have to like have like a little board there that tells them certain things about themselves but for whatever reason my grandfather you know like every 30 minutes when i was down there visiting during those last years he would say do you still shoot that bow? Man, I love watching you shoot that bow. I just love seeing you practice. Like he, he remembered that. And he would ask me that like 10 times a day. Well, one day he came out of like the, there, there's like this, uh, it was used to be an old dairy barn down in, down in Natchez, Mississippi, you know, that, that family place. And he had like a little, there was a attack room in there with, with all the saddles and stuff like that for the horses. There was a tack room, and that's where he had, you know, his bunch of rusty tools in there and everything like that. So he came out of there uh, one day with um, this old longbow that he had, he had like, hand cut. You know, he wow. made this longbow. He'd cool. notch string things. Uh, I'll show you a picture of it. And he actually took his iron sights off of... Uh, a korean his his korean war rifle and and taped that iron sight to the side of the bow for a arrow shelf and then Uh wrapped that with like cat gut you know that's cool and so and he gave it to me and he said i don't know how to make a string for this he but he told me he's like he goes you still shoot that bow don't you and i go yes sir i still still shoot it and he's like do you think you think this thing would be able to to take an animal one day and and honestly i was kind of 
Skeptic. reluctant about it, you know. <laughs> so I just said, "Well, you know, maybe, maybe I'm going to try to find this picture." I said, "Yeah, maybe, you know, maybe, maybe so." And uh, he just said, "Wow, you know, I just I remember you shooting that bow." So he gave me this bow, but I was always afraid to string it. And one year I had um, a bunch of friends put in for turkey tags, and we kind of had this turkey hunt on my place in Iowa, and we all kind of came and and. I actually did do a scoring thing there. I made like a, a belt that was going to be a traveling award right. for our group. And I just said, okay, we're just, we're going to weigh the turkey, spur length and beard length, like simple scoring system. Right. And this belt's going to continue to travel. So I ended up coming out. Uh, two of my buddies were longbow shooters, were recurve shooters and, and good ones. You know, both of them got birds. Uh, and I, and they kind of asked me the same question, like, you know, why wouldn't you shoot one of these? And I said, you know, or they kind of, I think they said, do you have a recurve? And I said, I do have a recurve because I had that one that I shot the deer. I said, I go and I, and I have a longbow and, and they're like, what do you have a longbow from? So I told them the story and, and since both of them were trad guys, they're like, dude, where is that thing? So they brought it out and I ended up, uh, I ended up building a string for it. And and they're I'm like I don't want to break this thing you know and they're like well let's just let's just try it so I built a string for it and strung it up kind of reluctantly pulled on right. it and I'm like Safety this glasses. thing feels pretty freaking good you know like the string tracks were very primitive like I think he did it with like a drill bit like <laughs> you know uh, but it, it felt pretty dang cool and I freaking drew back i had a mckenzie turkey target in the in the range and i drew back and shot and freaking like shot an shot an you know an eight ring which would be equivalent to like a coffee can right yeah and they were all like dudley you gotta freaking do that for your grandpa yeah you gotta do that for your grandpa so i did um i just found it right here i'll show you guys I can send you this picture. So here's the rest. Whoa. This is the oh, bow. Oh, that's cool. That's the rest. So that's a iron sights off a Korean no war kidding. rifle. And uh, that had to be done. Yeah. And so, well, here here's the picture of the turkey when I shot him. Uh, but yeah, I I I got my bird that's with so this cool. with this bow that my grandfather had. That has literally built me. That's cool. And 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 look at the hooks on that thing too. Like yeah. I know, like I I know my grandfather was you know who knows maybe he took control of that bird and and walked him in because I know spurs like that he would have been dorked out about it. Wow. He's down there like he's like yep that's my grandson. You know yeah. what? Yeah. So I'll say this. I too. made that bow. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, yeah. Say, I'll say this too though. There's never been a time. You know, and I've talked to a lot of guys who grew up guessing and just trying to figure out archery. Mm -hmm. And there's never been a time where with more recurve instructors and people putting out good information about how to. Oh, for sure. I mean, like when I decided to do this, I drove to uh, Harv Ebers, which is one of our, uh, his dad's our president now. and He's one of our founding members. One of our founding members, personal friends of Fred Bear. And, you know, I drove to his house and I'm like, teach me how to shoot this thing. Yeah. Well, and he gave me the, the, the basics, and then I'm like, I'm hooked. And yeah. so I'm literally, like, booking flights, and I'm flying to Denver and shooting with Tom Clum and, and Joel Turner and, you know, yeah. trying to just become as good at this as I can because there's never been a time. And like you said, like, there's 
I never want to feel that feeling. Mm -hmm. And there's never been a time with guys putting out information like they are now. And uh, so it's a... 100%. I did shoot a deer. Did shoot a... I shot a javelina, and I shot a bear with it. Good grief, dude! You're on. Prove me wrong. Like way to, <laughs> way to, way to take my uh, insecurity and there just you go. drop it in my face. I have I missed a deer too, though. You know, and one thing, seventy-five percent is solid, bro. Yeah. <laughs> like, honestly, that's kind of why I mic dropped. I'm like at a hundred percent with a deer and a hundred percent with a turkey. I'm just like boom. Uh, peace out. It's you mentioned earlier uh, working with the veterans, and I think one thing that we've seen uh we've had folks talk about it on the podcast um is when when veterans return you know and and it came up we did an event last year in utah oh, yeah, that was cool a combo event with uh partnered up with wishes for warriors and we had some guys come in um Wishes. Wishes for work. Okay. <laughs> he said witches. Oh, witches. <laughs> that's, that's a, a whole different, that's different, that's a different Yeah, yeah. And so it was wishes for warriors. <laughs> and and these guys came in. We had some, some vets come in. And all, you know, they got, I don't know, a couple hours of of instruction with these bows that we, we got. And uh, so they got to go out and shoot. And then they got to shoot a 3D course. And then that night at the dinner, we actually presented them with the bows that we had set up for them. And one of the things that I, I think get underestimated, but you hear about it in in that community, is the therapeutic nature of archery. Yeah. Oh, I think shooting a bow, I mean, the, we've talked about They don't the like podcast. the noise. I can tell you yeah. that. Like, what's what's crazy is a lot of these guys when they shoot and they get to see the arrow go down and land they love that part yeah but what they don't have is the crack yep. you know and i think that crack is what brings back other types of feelings and and uh yeah because i've i've asked i've worked with I've, i bet i've worked with close to a thousand veterans now in yeah. the last several years um, Black Rifle is a huge partner for me, and um, Evan Hafer at Black Rifle has just, he's opened this door for me to where I can go in this door, and I personally feel like have an effect on veterans' lives. Nice. Like, it, and th there's people in that room every time I every time I open that door that he has and it's a, it's an open door there's opportunity to change someone's life it's just a matter of like when I have time to do that but every freaking time when I say so what do you think about archery they're just like it's quiet that's cool yeah. yeah yeah and it's that's and I think that therapeutic comment yeah. I think what they say right then is a lot yes it, it, it like it's because of what you said too i think that's part of it and it's just the whole a lot of times the entire experience of of archery and bow hunting like you say it's quiet you, you can do it like most people can shoot in their backyards you know you have enough room to do that and then even when you're out hunting it's not uh, you know a quote-unquote forced march through the forest with a gun or something i mean you're out there and you're seeing things, squirrels and birds. You're seeing things that 
you don't always otherwise see if you're hunting a different way and it gets closer you know you see i this year i, had a, I was in a tree stand i had an elk at a running cows at 100 yards and i'm like come on just a little bit closer the cows keep kept coming by me and, and that bull just never came in and and so i'm there for uh, probably 45 minutes just hoping and wishing this this bull would just just come a little bit closer for me and with the rifle man that had been over and so i think there's it's a little more intimate i think experience in a lot of cases because it's you know what would be game over with another with another weapon you you're you're almost in the game with a bow kind of a thing and so you see the stuff that that not everybody else gets to see and just uh, you know, almost that relaxation, that zen, if you will. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's life, man. Yeah. Sounds like a good day. I'm like sitting yeah, there thinking does. about that. I'm like, mm. yeah. Well, that's when, like, then you take it. You know, for me, it, that was part of the reason to switch to a recurve, take it to a whole nother level. You know, and this year, I hunted a lot more because there were situations where I'm like, man, I'd already be tagged out if I had my compound, but now I get to keep hunting, and you know. A lot of people didn't understand that. It's like, wait, the deer was at 30 yards and you didn't shoot it? I'm like, no, I have my recurve. Like, mm-hmm. so I had still had to get him another 10 yards, I mean, before I, before I felt comfortable shooting. And they're like, dude, that's crazy. And I'm like, yeah, but I got to see a deer at 30 yards. Yeah. You yeah. know, I got to just watch him. I didn't For have to worry minutes. about it. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's like that with my wife and my son. One of the things, uh, and th- this actually ties back to what we were talking about at the beginning of the conversation. I met my wife on a plane to France. I was traveling to France to compete at a championship there. And, like, we small-talked as we were exiting the plane. And she went through the EU passport line, and I went through the other passport line. And when we came out on the other side, she was gone, and I kind of spent a few days telling my buddies, like, dang, I should have got that girl's number, you know. And then uh, after the tournament... Um, when the you know on the way back we ended up in seats next to each other so my wife's from from england there's a little fate for you for sure but but what's crazy about that is you gotta now you gotta think okay dudley's wife came from england we're hunting bow hunting totally taboo archery is big but yeah archery's big yeah archery's big bow hunting not even legal you know, hunting to someone who grew up in Liverpool, like what? <laughs> you yeah, know? you shoot stuff, and and, and That's she only for the rich over there. And she came and like had an open mind. And after living in Wisconsin for you know honestly like six months to a year, she was just like yeah i get it why you hunt like it within six months of when she lived in uh in america we had hit a deer with the car (laughs) you know uh not you know you never want to it was just like one of those things um and then just like you know her trying to like plant a garden and like it's it's like gone every time and and times where the, she's just like why there's so many deer so it wasn't like a, i understand why you hunt it was like a, now i understand why you stink yeah. and hunt yeah well i mean and and um during the winter time when it got really 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 cold i had like a mound system for my septic so i think where the warm water comes out of the house and goes into that first mound the mound 
always had the snow like melted off the top and the grass would be green and the deer would just they would bet on it and they would eat it because <laughs> it was like you know and and so she's just like yeah i totally understand like there's too many deer living in the yard you know they're like they're, there shouldn't be seven or eight does on a 10 right acre piece of yeah. property that are just there all the time you know so she started to to get it and then she wanted to you know both her and harry both wanted to learn how to how to shoot and so i did not force them into the hunting aspect at all they were more like hey if you're practicing like hours a day it'd be nice to come out and just hang out hang out and, sh- and shoot with you so i taught her how to do that and that's kind of where it started for for sharon funny enough story uh was actually like during this time of year uh it might have been right prior to an ata show we stopped at illinois and uh, at the time sharon was um she just filmed me she's like i love to go film and she filmed me shoot stuff but she never like had a passion to bow hunt well we ended up uh hunting with the guys from lone wolf uh i don't know if you guys ever knew the weavers jeff and uh jared or Jeff Weaver and uh, Jared Schliff invited me. And so we're down there and this doe comes in and the doe comes in and like her tongue's hanging out and she like kind of came like hobbling in, but I knew what was going down. I'm like, this gal came back into heat and like everybody wants some of that. And so the next thing I know, I'm like, here comes some bucks, bucks. like get, you know, power on. So like she gets ready and like these three bucks come in and it was just like, it was a horrible scene, you know? And so, (laughs) and I ended up, I ended up shooting a buck. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. I ended up shooting a buck. I don't know if I've ever, if I've ever heard of a time where where you just shot a buck is a horrible scene well it wasn't yeah so (laughs) so like i shoot this buck and it goes and like piles up and sharon's like this perfect like proper english gal you know turns the camera to me and i'm i'm excited on camera and then when it stops she goes you know she goes is that what the bucks do to the does all the time and i go not all the time but there is a time and she goes so if i shoot a buck during this time of year i'm actually helping a girl out and i go you could look at it that way and she's just like i'll do it if it's during the rut so you know so that's how my wife you know got into into bow hunting because she like saw it as an opportunity of helping a girl out yeah and and uh so Sharon started bow hunting. She could only shoot like forty pounds. She still still does, still shoots about forty pounds. And with that comes limitations, which is honestly a responsibility of of bow hunters is to understand the limitations of equipment. I'm talking about this because you talked about your limitations. That's critical. My wife hunted seven hundred hours before she shot her first white tail wow. buck. Seven hundred hours. And the reason why is because I told her shooting 40 pounds, she needed a 20-yard shot quartered away because, and she needed a cut on impact broadhead. What is the, if you don't mind, what's the arrow setup she runs? Um, She's shooting an Axis 600. Yeah, if you, like, this is kind of a, a topic for me that's, 
I have a different way of of looking at you know I know right now like arrow weight and, and FOC is kind of you know honestly it's it's causing a divide I think within yeah. within our industry unfortunately I would agree um, because me as a target archer I watch a lot of arrows fly and last year at total archery challenge events um, I have pictures with that I personally shot with over twelve thousand people last year and so you think of 12,000 people I watched every one of those arrows fly through the air and when you have a really heavy arrow of course it's going to have more momentum but there's also a slower arrow gives more time for reaction well there's a a point where in my opinion yeah there's, there's a point where at some point you're giving up too much speed for kinetic energy that you'll n- never use. Exactly. Exactly. And and so for me, I know my wife's arrow is is a little bit light for penetration. Like I'm no I know she's not going to pass through. But also I'm confident that she can get 10 to 12 inches of penetration. Yeah. Same as the recurve guys, the people that founded this club. Yeah. You know. And and uh with that comes Okay, babe, you're shooting 40 pounds. You're shooting shoots an axis. I don't know what her arrow weight is. I mean, it's not going to be super light, but it's also not going to be, like, super heavy. Because I I want, like, her her pin gap between 20 and 30 is still, like, three-quarters of an inch. Yeah. So, like, I have to range that deer, and if it's within a yard or two, positive or negative... There's a potential it's not going to be 100% lethal shot when you're if you're shooting slow already, and then every yard matters. The slower that is, you know, and a heavy arrow gets, you know, it's, the heavier heavier arrows are super slow. So like even at the tack events, you know, I'd tell people like who didn't have a pin for it, like their holdover is just insane. You know, some of these people that are shooting like a just folk, yeah, just focus on that. The holdover just kind of gets to the point where it's like you're just like sky shooting. Yeah, you're aiming at clouds. Yeah, yeah, literally, yeah, literally. So Sharon shot that, and and she had to wait until we had um, a deer at 20 yards, quartering away, that wasn't alerted, where she, where I was able to talk in her ear and be like, all right, babe, you know. Your sight set on twenty. Yep, yep. Okay, draw back. You know, anchor, anchor. Are you looking through your peep? Yep. Okay, you got your front sight and your rear sight. Perfect eclipse. Perfect eclipse. Yep. All right. Pin right behind the crease. Right She's behind the crease. Would you please be quiet so I can just concentrate? Would you shut up? Yeah. Well, I mean, for her, she's like, reinforce what I need to do. Right. Right. Yeah. And so, and that's what I wanted. So, and then my son. um I, th- I think my well, my son's first uh, animal was actually an alligator that he shot. Really? Um, yeah, With shot it like cool. sp- spot and stock. We actually called it in to a to a caller, and he shot it, you know, right behind the shoulder. That's a really Pretty cool first animal. Yeah, yeah. nine nine year old. Well, wow. and and so the, and and so like and for him, same thing. Limitations. Shoots he him and Sharon have like identical setups or did when he started, but like. Um, when Sharon and Harry moved over, one of Sharon's concerns was like guns in the house, right? Um, she's like, I, I, you know, I don't know, is it safe with with Harry? You know, because when once he got to like become eleven or twelve, I think 
no he was actually he was nine or ten i think yeah because his first animal was his first bow kill was when he was 10 so uh she asked me about that and i just said well i'm more worried about people who are here that don't understand guns like harry understand like harry knows safety he hears me talk about it you know he knows like he knows that i said when I went to school, the people that always scared me with guns were when someone who wasn't from a gun family wanted to handle it. Wanted to handle it. Like yeah. I was kind of like, you know, keep me behind this guy because that was ingrained in my head. Yeah. So what I told Sharon was, I said, you know what? I said, uh, she goes, what if he goes to like a gun safety thing, like hunter's education? And I go, I'll tell you what, we're not gonna just take Harry. I said, I'll, I'll ask every one of harry's friends parents if i can take all that's of cool. them so that's what we did we took we took every one of harry's friends to hunter safety so for two weekends cool. i took them and on the last weekend is like test day you know and so we were all in the vehicle and like all the boys were in the back and harry's in the front and i was like quizzing them from the from the pamphlet yeah and in the pamphlet there was there was like a bunch of different types of animals like they had an african animal and they had like you know elk and they had they had like several different animals and they also had like where the vitals were you know on these animals and uh so i just said all right um honestly i was hoping they would say like turkey or deer because i go all right if you guys pass this test and could pick one thing that you want to shoot what would it be well, someone's like, yeah, I want, I, I want to shoot one of these turkeys. And I'm just like, I'll take you turkey hunting. Someone's like, I want to shoot a buck. And I'm like, all right. I said, well, maybe we'll start with the doe. I said, but I'll take you deer hunting. And, and what happened was, true boys, it just kept escalating. <laughs> and, like, so by the time it got to, like, the dudes in the back seat, someone's like, I want a sable. And I'm like, well, if your dad will give me like 30 grand, I'll take you. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so it got to Harry and like Harry wanted to one up everybody. And he's just like, I want a dinosaur for my first vocal. Cool. And so I was just like, well, technically an alligator is a dinosaur i said would you i go harry do you want to shoot an alligator for your first bow kill and he goes yes i do nice so that that was it uh i went down to uh to uh hoppy kempfers down at down at uh osceola outfitters down in florida yeah Yeah. Yeah. uh ralph and vicky hunted there a lot and and uh so yeah, it was awesome, and and filmed it, you know. So I've That's got cool. like my kids' first cool. first bow hunt on an alligator that we called That's out cool. of the water, shooting a back tension release, you know, <laughs> shooting cool. a hinge or shooting a you know a silverback. Um, so yeah, and even at that, even uh, fast forward into Harry's teen years, he would he would be doing his homework in the blind. I'd, pick him up tell him he could do homework in the blind we'd go and i'd put my black coat over him in the blind and let him do his homework in the blind and he would see like deer come to the food plot and like it just got to the point where he would be like he's too far away let me know when he gets close <laughs> because they understood like your equipment has a limitation yeah yeah in the yard like I, there was where they shot there were 15 and 20 yard targets the targets were always big I didn't want him to ever experience like 
missing. And I also didn't, you know, I didn't want him. That's part of the game. Well, I didn't want him to experience. <laughs> well, for like some the, of us it is. Yeah, see, what I feel for like, <laughs> what I tell people that prevents a lot of um, youngsters from staying in the sport is when they start to make the target too small and take it back too fast. Yeah. Because, like, when kids are, you know, are looking for arrows in the grass and then adults are kind of, especially if you're at a range, and then the adults are just like, we'll find it later, you know, and next thing you know, they're like, half their quiver's gone. Yeah. You know, that some people, you know, don't accept that. So for me, I'm always like, hey, the kids, if you just say, okay, dad's bow's stronger, so I'll shoot further, but let's go like toe to toe you know hit for hit well dang you keep them at 10 15 yards and they know that's their max well next thing you know they're like it's a tie game all day see my son doesn't get the limitation he's only four like (laughs) i take him out hunting and there will be like a deer at like 300 yards he's like dad shoot that deer and i'm like all right we'll we'll wait a while until he comes in (laughs) no but i i think um i think the lim- learning limitation on on equipment is critical and also more importantly it's just ethical you know yeah but that's that's where my heart is man so you're uh, telling me i shouldn't launch them at 400 just trying no <laughs> yeah no definitely not dylan he said dad your bow can shoot that far i'm like well technically it can yeah Maybe. you're right uh, i mean yeah i can't though yeah so I can. I, 400 with with my bow i'm guaranteed to hit yeah dirt yeah that's <laughs> gonna yeah yeah no i i think i think uh i'm vi- i'm really excited that you guys have kind of staked a new staked a new you know thing in the dirt saying you know hey the, this is what pope and young has we you know we have we have branches going different directions we're not only focused on a tape measure you know yeah. and yeah, sure. uh and because of that you know, I I just feel like all right. This is a, another thing that I've that I've need to devote time to. So well, well, I really appreciate the opportunity. You got to share. Reno. You got to share about the convention raffle. that's going on? Okay. Oh, here's a question for you. All right, you've hunted a lot of places. You've hunted a lot of critters. Yes. So good luck with yeah. this question. Oh yeah. I this know. Yeah, we got two questions actually. Yeah. So, um, so one of one of the things. Is, is thank you for coming to convention. We're so excited to have you there. We got people that are excited to hear you talk and, and meet you in. And so thank you for doing that. We really appreciate it. And one of the other things we have at convention, we actually have two raffles going on. One is a uh, called the Living Legend Hunt, where you can actually win a Oklahoma whitetail hunt, and Chuck Adams will be in camp with you for a week. Awesome. Which is kind of cool because it's kind of neat when you can win something you can't buy. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so we like that. The other one, and and I guess this would also be something when you can't buy because I can't afford this stuff. But um, we have, if you had to choose one of these four, first one, Yukon Moose. Choice number one. Oh, damn. Okay. It gets worse. Yeah. No, or it can't. I don't know. I mean, That's on like, my bucket list. That's so, like a big bucket lister for me. So first one, Yukon Moose. Second one is Mountain Goat Brown Bear combo. Oh, gosh. Okay. <laughs> I told you. <laughs> third one, third choice. And these are all with great outfitters. we got McMillan River. We've got Peterborough. And then Montschwer put together a package for us in Africa. It's a lion, Cape Buffalo, 
crocodile, <laughs> sable, <laughs> lioness. That's choice number three. Good grief. And then choice number four. So there's four. Winner gets their choice of any of these. And I, might I don't know add, how you'd pick. Might I add these tickets are 100 bucks. Yeah, it's 100 bucks, and there's a limited number of tickets. So this isn't like there's somebody's going to win this when, in fact, we'll draw it with you on stage at Reno. It's going to be great. Fourth choice. If I'm Kena, if I'm like, if I'm speaker, can I, is it rude if I put money in that bucket? <laughs> yeah, but then you can't draw it. That's <laughs> we'll have to have somebody else. But uh, okay, fourth choice, and this is with. I almost want to not talk for and just I go know, for this draw. Good grief! And so fourth choice is with Rainy Pass Lodge. Uh, Steve and Denise parents put together a package for us, and they've been great donors. These are folks we worked all worked with for a long time. They put together a package for us that's a doll sheep, brown bear, caribou black bear what yeah <laughs> so anyway there's your four choices now which one would you take knowing that there's bucket list stuff on he was on super fired up about stuff. that yukon now he's like well dude I don't know. i'm telling you <laughs> he yeah. said that one and i said you just wait I, I feel like you said it that way on purpose because the yukon moose is actually at the back of my pile now like for what I'm thinking. <laughs> See, the reason I've never done a Yukon moose is because like for me, I don't I honestly I don't like hunt all year, but I I work my butt off all year to where I can shut down for like what I see is like the golden 5 weeks of hunting season. Yeah. And ideally, I want to try to stick and move in as many places as I can during that 5 weeks. So to take out 14 days of that for Yukon moose is that's why it's like hasn't happened because I'm like wait a minute like if I had 14 days in Alberta I could I might be able to get like multiple species you know what I mean so it kind of came down to like time and tag or if you had multiple days in Alaska. I think know, we need to put that on a t-shirt. Brown bear. Stick and move. <laughs> Stick and move. <laughs> I, yeah. Jason's still trying to get the kill for fun t-shirt approved, but it's not. Yeah, K4F. It's just not going anywhere. Yeah, that's not going to happen. No. <laughs> like, I can, I don't know where that came from, but I'm like, I'm going to vote no. Uh, You're not the only one. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Turns out that's majority vote. Yeah. That's that is insane. I feel like you have to pick one. I feel like I'd take your name the, was just drawn. I feel like I'd take the last one. Me last too. one. Okay. Yeah. Yep. That's mine. They're also get like with that. I think. I don't know. I think I'd for me. I'd love to do any of them. But are they? Do they, they offer the down four? any of are, them? Yeah. Did they offer the four? Because how likely are you to have like what's the hunt? Ten days or something? I think that one's ten or twelve. Okay, yeah. so ten or twelve day hunt. With a bow, I wonder what like yeah. they're thinking odds are. They're good. Ten, I mean, that's are they, they really? Do yeah. you think someone could possibly get the four? I, I think it's possible. Oh my god! Can you imagine? And I mean, they, they we've been doing uh, brown bear hunts with them for years. They've been doing a, a full donation brown bear hunt for us, and and this year I was like, hey, what? What? I mean, that was great. Not that we're not happy yeah. with that, but. I'm like, you know, we want to showcase some of the other things you do. And he's like, well, here's what we do. I'm like, yes. well, let's put that on there. So 10 days, 10 days. And then we have a similar trip. They actually did one for our auction, too. So if you don't win it, you can bid on it. You can bid on it. 
on wow. Saturday. So it's uh, no, it's it's we're excited. So that's that's question number one. So you would take the the you rainy go, pass, rainy pass, doll sheep, brown I think bear, so. black bear, caribou. Uh, yeah, I think okay. so. I think so. I, I have to go that route because brown bear and caribou are both bucket list items. Right. I mean, moose is definitely bucket list, but that one offers two bucket lists for me. So okay, I feel like that um, that Greenland caribou thing. I've never I've never really had a passion just to do- dedicate time to caribou. Um, no, but the Greenland thing looks pretty freaking awesome. Yeah, that would be a yeah. that'd be up there too. But a, a Yukon moose is definitely on my list. I th- I feel like you know I feel like the sucky part is on a year where I didn't draw some decent elk tags. I would be like, I'd man, be this is up. this is the time where I need to be there. But it's not like I'd be waiting for someone to be like, hey, someone just canceled. Do you want to jump in on their spot? I'd be like, yes, yeah. yes. That's the hard thing is planning it out. Yeah. So next question is when you find yourself up on the mountain chasing elk or in a stand waiting for your whitetail, what is one non-traditional type item that you find you need to take with you on every trip? Hmm. Non-traditional item I've got to take on every trip. But it's like up in the mountains, you say? Just where, anywhere. Where, yeah, anywhere what's, what's something you take with you on every hunting trip? Well, something I've traveled with for the last two years that seems kind of weird is, is a guitar. Because I'm okay. like self-teaching, but I suck right? at it. <laughs> So uh, I, I really we, we I forget had, I forget everything I yeah. learned by the next day. Do like you know it's, uh, it's you horrible. know Nate Hosey at all? Uh-uh. Uh uh. Headhunters TV, but he's playing a concert at convention, and uh, we were talking to him. He's like, dude, when I tried to start learning guitar, I'm like, these people that know this, are like, they're not human. Like, yeah. they're, they're something else. Yeah. He's like, then my sister walks in like strumming it, and he's like, my whole life is a lie. Like, who are these people <laughs> I'm living with? How do you know how to do this? Yeah. <laughs> well, I I bought like a travel guitar because it'll fit in my backpack. You know, the little ones that you kind of like. It's kind of like. It's like more or less. Just, yeah, it's kind of okay. like just the neck to where you can just like learn huh. strumming and chord patterns. Yeah. So like, all day sits in blinds. A lot of times I'm in there just like really quietly, just like huh. going over like finger shapes. And I can like, honestly say that's. A, a very unique and new answer what, that is a new answer it honestly like early season uh antelope because i'm what mentally wrecks me the most is when i realize i i'm not out there and something could be so like you know i don't have a problem sitting all day for antelope i don't have a problem i don't have a problem sitting 13 hours a day the whole month of november like yeah to me i have no problem with that as soon as you but said that, though, I pictured you, like, busting up a mountain, chasing elk with a fender strapped to your back. <laughs> <laughs> I've had, yeah, I, ha- I have had that travel guitar in my backpack, for sure. It's <laughs> cool. Like, I can show you pictures of my travel guitar there. I can show you pictures of, like, just having, like, a little guitar when I'm, like, glassing, just scouting, you know. Um, but, again, it's what makes it sad is just how horrible I am at it. I feel like I've got to do it because I knew like part of my brain was just starting to not be needed because like, right. it's almost like the things that I talk about every day and do every day. They're so auto programmed 
that they're like in yeah. the, they're in the cache they're just in like the yeah. cache going around and so i don't feel like i was like trying to stimulate like new growth right so like trying to learn music and honestly like looking at music theory um it's like learning a foreign language when you're 46 and i don't know if it's even doable but you know i'm trying it just because so yeah those are those are a few things where you're just like well i uh i bought a guitar at a pawn shop in british columbia this may just so i could have one in bear camp and really yeah yeah that's cool See, and and, and i and i and i gave it i gave it <laughs> i gave it to like my buddy in uh in canada i said keep this because when i come back like put it in the closet and then he actually brought it to alberta for me and i had it in alberta in august same thing that's and then cool. and then when i went on like my elk charade uh new mexico colorado utah uh that's a pretty good elk lineup right there yeah, yeah. And maybe then, that's our maybe that's our raffle next year <laughs> you want to get to go on an elk tour or you want to do an elk tour for here here and here that's yeah it was a it was a crazy year i i got a, several tags and just um yeah it was nuts so where i go and i go to uh, red willow outfitter in alberta so i always get multiple species tags up there nice mainly because i'm hunting crown land a lot um there's some some farmland that i've gotten permission from over time but a lot of it's crown land so you're just you're really i'm hunting elk mainly like elk is always my main focus so you're covering a lot of ground walking quiet and you know doing some locator bugles really um so i mean you you're still hunting a lot so having multiple species tags is just in case i stumble upon something you know i like want to have it which is how i ended up shooting uh my moose on like day three it was like a rainy windy day so i was just still hunting and just kind of moving through a lot of like crown land just you know and calling a little bit but i kind of knew like you're going to be literally right next to something if it hears you and uh a, you know velvet bull ended up standing up and i'm like wow. freaking that's why that's, cool. that's why for four years i've had this I moose tag, tag in my yep, pocket you know what i mean case. and uh so yeah this year i had i i shot a bull in alberta or a bull elk in alberta and a bull moose in alberta and a mule deer in alberta that's um, two freezers for those keeping oh, track of yeah you need two yeah. freezers my in canadian, the back of your truck i've that. got two canadian friends that that always like meet me when i hunt in canada right and so and they're always they're like they're they're my meat patrol they're like yeah. they know like dudley's gonna eat backstraps and tenderloins if he's in camp <laughs> he's gonna plow one of those down every night but like what's left over you know we're gonna cut and process and and, cool. and hand out but then i had a new mexico uh bull tag and mule deer tag and then a colorado bull tag and then i got a shiris tag Ooh, in utah go. So it was like a crazy year that that from from August 24th until like October 3rd it was you know four bull elk and two bull moose and two mule deer. So it was just well, that's pretty nuts. good. Uh, yeah, that's that's a good run right there. <laughs> yeah, I, I know next year is going to be like zero. You know, I'll yeah. end up being like zero for five or whatever yeah. throughout the year. So, so what, somehow I, I gotta, doubt that. But yeah. one of my uh, one of my buddies, I wanted a deck built. 
and well, my wife wanted a deck built, I should say. And I said, the only thing I want, I want a shooting platform. Yeah. Built into my deck so I can climb up and shoot like I'm shooting from a tree stand. <laughs> so in my backyard, I've got a shooting platform. <laughs> but this guy that was building this, uh, like I would go out and shoot during the day and he like just showed interest in a recurve. He had hunted with a compound his whole life. Showed interest in a recurve. He's like, that's so cool. And I'm like, well, here, you can have this, man. And just gave him my recurve. He's like, dude, that's so cool. He's like, but I'd already decided that this year I was going to still hunt only. I'm like, for whitetails in Kansas, you're going to still hunt. And he's like, yeah, it's just a challenge I wanted to give myself. And he's a young, I mean, and I'm like, good luck, bro. And he's like, now I'm going to do it with a recurve. And I'm like, okay, so now you're going to still hunt <laughs> whitetails in Kansas with a recurve. And he's like, yeah. Opening day, he texts me. He's like, I'm 20 yards from a bedded buck. And I'm like, what? <laughs> How? And then, like, literally an hour later, he calls me. He's like, hey, can you come help me get this buck? And I'm like, that's cool. You've got to be kidding me. Like, first deer with a recurve, still hunting spot and stock in Kansas. And I'm like, dude, it's unfair. Yeah. <laughs> Very true. Well, dude, you guys got to get in the show. I know. Yeah, we just we just banged out a two-hour podcast. Was it really? Yep. You're kidding me. Hour and 57 oh minutes. Oh, my gosh. Man, it didn't see it. I, I was like, gosh, we got to be getting pretty close to an hour. That's uh, holy smokes. That's my son. We went out to help him find it. I'm still on Mountain Dew number one. So Heck, <laughs> yes. Well, we sure we sure appreciate you taking some time today. We know you got a lot of draws on your time, especially at ATA, and we really appreciate you taking some time for us. Can't wait to to get to know you a little bit more, spend some time with you in Reno. April twelfth to the fifteenth. Get your are, tickets. We're may, we're working every single day to make that as good of a show as it can possibly be for everybody. I'm so. I'm pumped. It's yeah. going to sell out, so get it your will. tickets. You do not show up at the door and expect to get tickets. So yeah. what? A, so um, this is actually going to be a swap cast. I'm gonna. Yep. This will be a knock on podcast as well as a Pope and Young podcast. So with that said, uh, everybody listening on the knock on po- uh, platform, uh, what do people need to do to to get involved? And if they're wanting to come to that convention, you know, a lot of people say, "Hey, how do I go where you're going to talk or whatever?" And uh, so spoiler first off, alert, it's not going to be, I'm not going to talk about archery technique, FYI. So. so so first off, they absolutely need to join as a member. So go to pope-young.org, click membership at the top, and it'll give you the option to become a member. It's 45 bucks for the entire year. Um, you get four issues of the magazine. You get um, some industry discounts. Um, there's a lot of things that come with that. Have you gotten your magazine yet? Yes. So um, beautifully printed magazine. But anyways... They absolutely need to become a member. If you want to attend convention, um, go to pope-young.org, click convention, and then click 33rd biannual convention, and uh, all the registrations right there. And you can actually, part of the thing is if you're not a member, you can still come to convention, but you have to pay more, and then we include a membership with it. So yep. winds up winds, if, if you come to convention, you wind up being a member. So You can buy full dinner tickets. You can buy day yep. passes. You can... Um, we got a lineup of speakers and and just yeah, all kinds of great yeah, things. It, Women's yeah. fireside chat. I feel um, I I do not feel worthy to speak there if I'm totally honest because you know there's my 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 mentors will be there. Yeah, yeah. You know, my mentors are going to be there, so it's kind of like, what am I doing up here? Well, that's what. I mean, Not I've heard mention. so many guys say that. Yeah. That's what Aldell said last year. He yeah, said, dude, I can't speak to these guys. Yeah. He's like, I get to go have dinner with Chuck Adams and Harv Ebers and Jack Frost. 
and see 200 of the tom miranda yeah biggest animals taken with a bow that you're likely to be in a room with yeah so it's we'll we'll have displays around that room it's it's going to be worth worth checking out very cool well thank you guys it was awesome and i look forward to pope and young club those of you listening uh look forward to being there very excited excellent thanks so much cool dudes all right see everybody be sure to check out knockonarchery.com for our full line of custom designed products as well as free in-depth education and bow hunting entertainment to help you shoot at your best